0: We would like to dedicate this episode in remembrance of our ASU colleague, Chris Sheehan. He was a good friend of the IBD podcast. He led the Digital Portfolio Initiative here at ASU. He was also a champion for the development of digital credentials at ASU. He was passionate about the success of all learners and enjoyed a good cup of coffee. He will be greatly missed.
1: You're listening to Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching.
0: In 2011, the Mozilla Foundation, the folks responsible for the Firefox web browser, in conjunction with the MacArthur Foundation, introduced Open Badges, a new standardized technical platform for recording details of achievement, embedding those details within a digital image, and providing a mechanism for validation, thus kicking off the age of the digital badge, aka digital credential. Much like a badge one could receive in the Boy Scouts, Digital badges are awarded as a recognition of learning and verified accomplishments. Fundamentally the same concept as a Boy Scout badge, a learner is required to demonstrate proficiency in order to receive a badge. Ideally, the learner continues to acquire new skills and competencies that, over time, come to be displayed prominently as an impressive array of badges. Those who played on an Xbox 360, like myself, will be familiar with the concept of unlocking achievements as a way to add another layer of engagement to a game. Here, game developers would set up challenges that when successfully completed result in you, the player, receiving an achievement tied to a small graphic image which is displayed on your virtual dashboard for you and anybody else to see. In the same way, digital badges are achieved and can be accumulated as a record of one's accomplishments. However, there is more. In addition to highlighting previous learning, digital badges have become nearly synonymous with the term stackable credentials, a concept where learners assemble a series of credentials towards a tangible end goal, like a terminal degree, certificate, or even simply to increase workforce competency and marketability. Here we see where this Johnny-come-lately-badging trend dovetails with the stoic and stalwart edifices of learning. After all, we in higher education are always striving to help our learners, both traditional and non, to meet the needs of an ever-evolving workforce. To this end, digital badges offer a way to illuminate learning pathways forward while simultaneously providing an efficient way to demonstrate competencies to stakeholders such as employers and admissions counselors. Digital Badges Digital doodads doled out to determined individuals deftly displaying their dutiful discoveries and prodigious deeds. Great method of recognizing effort and achievement, or greatest method? We'll discuss this on today's episode. Also, be sure to stick around for our Hot topic segment on turning your syllabus into an FAQ. Welcome to this episode of Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. My name is Aaron Kraft from the Academic Operations Team at ASU's Edson College of Nursing and Health Innovation. Joining me today are...
1: Jeanette Senegal. Celia Ketritiwa.
0: So what are the components that comprise a digital badge? I mean, we see the image right? Much like you would see on a Boy Scout sash, perhaps. But there's more to it than just that.
2: I think I'm going to go a different direction. That's part of the problem. We don't know what they're made of just by seeing the image sometimes.
1: Well, I think we're trying to understand really this idea of metadata. There's this graphical image, as you explained, Aaron, but what's behind it? What, what's there, but not necessarily visible? So things like who issued this digital credential? What does it mean in terms of an achieved skill or competency? How is that defined? Does it relate to other professional standards? Um, is the issuer a recognized institution or just some Xbox achievement bearing awesomeness? Mm-hmm. So also I think things like dates. Is it current? Is there currency? Is there a link to another issuer that has you know, common information for that uh, universal skill or whatever it is that you're trying to document.
0: Right. I know the platform is rather standardized. There's a term interoperability that's used in conjunction when describing or talking about badges these days because you have multiple platforms. You have like Credly, Badger, and others. And what they do is they allow for this interoperability where you can claim a badge from one source but put it into your account if you have an account with another source, so you can take your Credly badge and, and put it into your Badger account, for example. And the reason is because the metadata as Jeanette brought up is actually uh, standardized, more or less, across the board.
1: Well, that's important. I mean, that's really key to making mm-hmm. this
2: something that's useful across a breadth of professional life. Right. So those badges, the digital badges that you get and are sitting in like Credly or Badger, are those shown to be like, So I'm imagining a portfolio-style like um, site with these badges showing. But does it show? What other information does it show there? Like in Credly or any of the platforms? What else does it show there other than the image?
0: Right. No, it's a great question, and it's one that if you're showing these off to stakeholders, uh, they want to know as well. Like, why are you showing me this badge? Right. So the idea is that it, when uh, someone, like when a viewer clicks on the badge, so I'm showing, say, to a, an employer uh, a badge I received, they can click on it and then it's verifiable. That is to say, when they click on it and they see that it came from Arizona State University, they see when it was issued, they see the criteria that were met for me, the, the receiver, mm-hmm. to have received that badge in the first place. And then there are other... Uh, metadata as well that can be included such as links to websites when you click on them you can learn more about where the badge came from or even more about the badge itself like what program it's tied to what competency it's tied to that really just depends on uh, the issuing institution how much effort they want to put into uh, illuminating those details and there are also skill tags you can tag these say you want to see if other institutions have a badge already that's similar to the one that you're creating you can type in keywords, key competencies into a search engine, and you'll see, as long as they're made public, you'll see the badges that are relevant. So you can add those tags to uh, the badges as well. So all of this information is included. So it it varies, but those elements are pretty much standardized across the board.
1: Well, so this idea of open interoperability and the the fact that it's Um, digitally transferable, if you will, means that you could potentially use that in a number of different ways, right? Like you could link that to a, as Celia said, a portfolio of exemplars of your work, maybe. You could attach that to your LinkedIn professional profile page. You could display them on your personal website. So it gives you a great flexibility in being able to actually make the most use of the badges you've earned.
0: Exactly. Uh, These are To be shown off just like a boy scout badge is to be shown off in a sense displayed proudly as a a record of your accomplishments so they are put are intended to be put on social media on places like linkedin there is a a mechanism for publishing on those platforms and uh, that's where you know if you're trying to get into if you're trying to get the eye of a college admissions counselor or uh, an employer that's where they're going to be looking right there's a word that's used when describing badges. They say that they're baked. <laughs> <laughs> right? So
2: I get it. <laughs> yeah. What,
0: what does that mean to you?
2: Well, that to me means that there there's all these ingredients that have to be added and thought about before they can actually be created and developed to be something that's Edible that can be taken and, yes, consumed by whether it's employers or whether it's an um, admissions counselor or, you know.
1: Well, and I didn't really completely understand that term in this sense until I was looking at one of the resources you provided, Aaron, and we'll share this in the show notes. But an article from 2017 published in the International Journal on Innovations in Online Education and they sort of explain this term as baked and the way it's used to imply that once a badge is baked, the ingredients can no longer be separated from the mm-hmm. badge. So those those points of verification, that metadata, it's never going to be disattached as long as you have that badge.
0: Right. Right. Um, and I'm pretty sure they can be updated, though, you know, these are the kind of questions you want to ask yourself. Do you plan on updating these? And if you do, you should be careful because... The uh, the receiver was under a set of assumptions, and any the viewers were also under a set of assumptions as well.
1: I imagine that's a very complicated consideration for the issuing organizations to
2: think about. Well, that's so difficult though, because things are constantly changing. So, how do you make sure that what your badge is for, or what um, what the specifics are that get to that badge? Uh, making sure that they are something that can move or change over time.
0: Right. And I think that's a great question. It's, it's very pertinent. And I would suggest that things change anyways, even without badges. You have course curriculum that evolve over the years. So if you, you know, w- what's your degree in and w- what were the criteria that you had to meet to get that degree? And is it the same now?
2: I think the difference is that with a badge, you can't necessarily see the work that has been created you'd have to attach it to something like a portfolio and that's how people tend to show the work that they've done and i think that's where some of the thinking about badges kind of gets lost because it's i mean and i'm i'm uh, myself included i think badging entails a really deep level of thinking because there are people who stop at the surface level thinking oh this is just a badge it's just an image that's showing but You really have to put a lot of thought, and there is a place for it, but how do you make sure that your badge is created to withstand time and be able to move?
0: I think just like anything else, you want to clearly mark the context in that metadata. If you're the issuer, you need to say, this was the criteria in 2017. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it seems clarity is really important there.
0: Mm But I don't see how it's any different. I'm, I'm sure if I went back to my master's program at the University of New Mexico, they would have a different set of hoops for me to jump through than what I did originally. But my transcripts won't, won't reflect that. My my portfolio, which you know displays my my credentials, they don't necessarily say, "Oh, by the way, this has changed." So well,
1: that's an important word, transcript. It's basically a tiny little transcript, in a sense, depending on how the metadata is developed but it's the analog to what you would get out of a course or a program academically.
2: So one of the articles that we looked at was inside higher ed, making credentials matter. And they, um, you know, defined, defined various um, stackable credentials. And when they do the comparison towards certifications or certificates, that to me is where I really start to think a lot more about Yes, that that is a great place, because if you can show that you're constant, like, you know, lifelong learner, like most people are, most people didn't just stop at their bachelor's and never learn anything from there on. Everyone is constantly, you know, updating their skills. When I think of badges in terms of updating skills and staying current with, you know, new processes or new um, ideologies that are coming out in any type of profession, then I think, yeah that has great value to be able to see these different badges and show this person did continue their learning.
0: Well, I think this is a great segue into the next question. Why now? What are the what are the factors driving the current badging trend?
1: My cynical inner demon would say that this is part of the evolving conversation around the economic value of higher education. Does getting a degree makes sense economically to complete that work? And if not, what are other models for lifelong learners to gain um, verifiable educational achievements that further their personal goals, their workforce goals, if not a traditional bachelor, master's kind of degree thinking? Mm -hmm. It's almost we're back to this – Do liberal arts, do general education studies matter anymore? Or is it simply too costly?
0: Mm -hmm. I know, Celia, you mentioned lifelong learning. I think this is a perfect pairing because the idea of lifelong learning is that learning doesn't just stop the moment you uh, exit school, exit the building, so to speak, but it's something that happens day to day or all the time uh, throughout your entire life. And we're, breaking, we're, we're starting to in, uh, introduce alternatives here. I think, to me, badging is about an alternative way to basically recognize achievement, right? And you can, you can start to break things down to a more granular level than before, which is perfect for lifelong learning. There's also less tangible skills, but, uh, for example, critical thinking, right? Maybe you were involved in a group project and it, it involved clear communication and critical thinking and analysis with other people, how do you showcase that? That's not on the transcripts.
1: See, that's where my optimism comes in. I think this is a great opportunity to capture and document some of those soft skills, things like creativity, teamwork. It's more important than ever that people can do these things, but they're not part of your traditional transcript in a typical sense. So this is a really good opportunity to provide a pathway to document one's expertise.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to continue down describing badges as a, as a kind of alternative to the traditional model. I remember we recorded an episode back uh,
1: two years ago, I think it was. Almost three. three two, years ago? 2017, yeah. We had
0: a lightning round where I introduced the topic of badges. And at that time, I knew absolutely nothing about them other than there had been some contention in our field (laughs) among professionals that badges were arbitrary that they were a fad Mm -hmm. which i think these are fair critiques because you know there are a lot of fads that come and go especially in, in higher education not everybody was on the same page about the significance of badging right um and i would like to play a clip from that episode in this clip, I'm making an assertion to our former colleague and former IBD'er Stephen Crawford. However, he doesn't quite agree with what I'm saying. Let's listen. It's an alternative form of assessment.
2: No, I think it's an alternative form of displaying what you've learned.
0: I would like to uh, reply to Stephen three years later that the research might just be on my side here. I'm going to quote an article, a research article titled An Exploration of the Utility of Digital Badging in Higher Education by Kimberly Carey and Jill Stefaniak. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. But they say, however, if used appropriately, badges can be a form of alternative assessment that actually increases motivation in learners. So I thought I would just share that right there. Steven, I look forward to your reply on Twitter. <laughs> wow.
1: Is that why we were doing this episode now? You <laughs> read that article?
0: <laughs> not at all. Not at all. I actually came across that while doing the research for this podcast. Right. So uh,
2: so his thing was it's an alternative form of assessment? I mean, I'm trying to get, like, compare Steven his dis- words to
0: yours. Steven disagreed that, to my assertion, that badges were an alternative form of assessment.
2: But he did say, but, and I'm trying to remember what he said for the, but.
0: I think he said it's a, it's an alternative way of displaying what you've learned. Oh,
2: okay. I think that is what he said. All right. Trying to keep it straight. Okay. So that conversation
1: to some degree was about the separation between measuring achievement and documenting and displaying achievement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there is sort of this gray area as you're sort of suggesting. And, and this research is merging which kind of makes sense to me, again, depending on the type of learner and where this is being applied. Maybe there is no test at the end of a module. And really, this is just sort of you're showing something and Mm -hmm. this is the way of documenting it.
0: Right. And these are considerations, I think, when you start to look at how to establish Mm -hmm. a digital badging ecosystem in your institution. So I want to move on to the next question. What does a program or institution need to consider when establishing a digital credential initiative?
1: A very eager work group or committee to tackle all of these questions. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) It can be a big undertaking. I think people, when they hear the term digital badge, are quick to dismiss it as almost like a toy, uh, you know, for lack of a better term. Whereas if you hear the term digital credential, well, suddenly that has a little bit of weight to it, right? But uh, technically, these are the same thing. But in any case, and just like we see in our profession as instructional designers every day, it's not the platform, it's the strategy.
1: Well, and then so basically, I think what we can do as an analog is think about it as a curriculum development project. There, There's this, yes, it's a digital credential and we need a graphical thing and we need to do all this other stuff and verify the issuer, but... Basically, you're planning an educational event and showing a way to prove that it happened and that somebody learned something. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people will initially, when they're looking at badging something, they'll go for the low hanging fruit, which is to badge simply the completion of a course or the completion of a module or the completion of, uh, of a program of study. That maybe result in a certificate, for example.
1: I see, like an overlay of something that's already happening. So you're
0: getting a certificate. Oh, look, and you get a digital image to go with it,
1: which it has all the
0: metadata, and it it, it it's um, verified by Arizona State University, so it's got our stamp of approval on it. Uh, but is there when you're establishing a, a digital credential in- initiative, is there more that we can look at?
2: I think you always have to start with the why, like, why are they deciding all of a sudden, okay, we just want to attach an image to the certificate. Like, what does that replace? What is that, what is that fixing? Um, you know, to go back to the, the last, um, episode that we did on credentialing or digital credentialing and digital badging, it goes back to that, What's the problem it's fixing? what is or even is there a problem or are you just looking for an alternative method of displaying the work that they're mm-hmm. doing? But why is it being done and really kind of honing in on what details need to be considered in order for this to be established as to something that's going to move with the student and be understood by others?
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I might jump off that as a springboard and say, if you wanted to move with the student, then it needs to be applicable outside of the context it was received. Exactly. Badges um, to me are a perfect opportunity to align your program's learning objectives with
2: external market demands. And that's where some of those collaborations and conversations have to go is to start talking about those markets or talking to those markets and finding out what is it that you're looking for in a potential employee um what skills are you looking at that you're not seeing just with them coming in with a degree what are some of those things that you want to be able to see out of a badge if they came to you and said i have this badge and this badge what's going to help you to make the the connection Mm -hmm
1: think we are seeing some of those like corporate partnerships emerging mm-hmm. where it's workforce development and they are, you know, part of those focus groups or they're, you know, literally developing a program with a higher education institution, for example, because they recognize certain gaps or they want to invest in the pipeline for future workers. So they help provide some of that contextual information. What what is it that they're looking for?
2: I almost feel like it's somewhat of a merging between the higher or higher education institutions like, um, you know, universities versus vocational or trade schools where they're very skill based. And you're starting to blend both of those together and figure out a way to have both best of both worlds. Yeah, definitely.
0: You know, look at who we have here. We have Intel here, Mm -hmm. right? Why not talk to Intel and say, what do you need from our graduates? And then this is an opportunity to create specialized pathways of learning that can help ensure the success of these students in in the fact that they will have a job waiting for them, or that they'll increase their marketability and uh, employability when they graduate. Mm -hmm. And I think the same would go for the trade schools and vocational schools as well. So I think this can be scaled to the the regional or local level and, and, and... all the way to the national or even you know global level at the highest ideal I imagine.
2: I think we're in such a, tra- a big transitional time between um the things that have been non-technical moving into a more technical uh technology savvy area dig- more digital digitized um space. So in my mind I'm thinking mechanics, car mechanics, auto mechanics, who might have learned their craft working on a 69 Chevy, no type of computerized system at all, moving to now they're in auto shops where they're working on a 2013 Chevy that has all these computerized pieces. They had to, you know, Keep moving and keep learning.
0: This is where lifelong learning comes into play. These, empl- these employees, they need to up their skills. Mm-hmm. So, why not say, why not, why not have the employer and the local school come together and establish a pathway to help them up their skills? The school gets paid, they get their money, and then the student gets to up their, uh, their, their skill set. And the employer gets to have competent workers. It can be a win-win. So when establishing an initiative, I think it's important to to create strong relationships with those employers in which your students are being fed into. So that's at least one aspect to consider.
2: How do you keep the skills broad enough to where it's an overarching... You know learning versus a very spe- specified learning piece
1: so are we back to some of the terminology around vertical versus horizontal learning mm-hmm. and stacking of yes. credentials that lead to a super badge that actually you know is accumulation of six individual skill badges mm-hmm. is that part of the I conversation think, yeah. So I'm going to come back around real quick, Aaron, to, you know, you sort of kicked that part of the conversation off about what do programs or institutions need to consider when they're undertaking this, this journey. My question to you is what's the instructional designers role in that, or should we have a role in that kind of programming as opposed to sort of our, what we think of as our everyday jobs and workflow with academic programs? What's the difference?
0: Well, the instructional designer is, I think, one of the many people in charge of uh, ensuring the integrity of the academic programs, particularly whatever falls within their wheelhouse. But, you know, you're looking at do the assessments match the objectives, Mm -hmm. for example, right? So I think the and then instructional designers, we often we often have to be good consultants as well. We have to be people persons, (laughs) people Uh people. So you have to talk to the subject matter expert. They may not have any teaching experience. Well, that's what we work with time to time anyways, right? Um, so you have to say, well, I need this set of criteria to put into metadata. You know how tricky that can be to explain the idea of of action verbs and and Bloom's taxonomy and understanding what the subject matter expert wants to convey through a digital image. You have, you know, we're talking about elements to consider. I think you have the graphic image itself. You know, do you want something that's pedestrian and <laughs> casual? Well, that's fine. Like, you know, in, in certain circumstances, I imagine. But if this is something you're going to put on LinkedIn or something you want employers to take seriously, you might need to put some serious graphic design considerations into it. So what is your subject matter expert think is appropriate they're probably well versed in the field to know that if i saw this badge as opposed to this kind of badge i'm going to go with this one just by looks alone Mm -hmm. Um, so that's something to consider so i think as an instructional designer you're really trying to tie in what could potentially be many disparate pieces into a cohesive image with the relevant information successfully baked into it
2: that's so would you say you're kind of Pulling some of those project management skills into the ID work of putting badging together.
0: Yeah, ID work and project management is almost always synonymous, isn't it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not to place ourselves at the center of all the universes, yeah. <laughs> but we do tend to be that kind of hub or, or mm-hmm. bridging, you know, point of access for uh, a number of different stakeholders when working on projects. But I love your answer. I think that part of that really comes down to us being warriors on behalf of rigor and quality Mm -hmm. and making sure that we have this expertise in bringing stakeholders together to do things academically. We have a valuable perspective to offer on developing this kind of programming as well.
0: We grease the gears. I think, you know, I would leave it to administration to make the connections externally. And then once they bring the subject matter to me, or once they connect us, I should say, Mm -hmm. then my job is to make sure that the learning that happens has integrity. Well, thank you for discussing badges here. And I want to turn now to our hot topics. Hot topics. Today's Hot Topic segment is based on the article, How to Turn Your Syllabus into an FAQ and Why You Should by Eric, I'm going to guess this, Lep. This is an article that was published in the Chronicle of Higher Education. The idea is syllabi, they're easy to not read, they're boring, they don't get anybody's attention, at least in the current format, what, five to ten pages of, of text it's like a reading assignment in and of itself
1: five to 10 pages are you kidding when i was in graduate school i had a total meltdown one time when i was starting a class and i had a 32 page <laughs> syllabus to oh read and i never
0: had that i, I put it been. off
1: for an entire week and i remember talking to you know somebody at the uh, you know co-student or whatever and i'm like this is a manifesto <laughs> there's no way i'm gonna get through this
0: <laughs> well all the more you know appropriate then of a topic here because uh, the author was suggesting that we could take like the most critical aspects of the syllabus, the things the students really do need to understand or be aware of or be able to reference quickly and to place them front and center in your learning management system as perhaps pages or modules or whatever your LMS uh, wants to call these and basically creating an FAQ that's unavoidable for the
1: students. It It strikes me as trying to solve the problem of usability that we have Mm -hmm. um, with a syllabus. It concerns me a little bit in trying to make sure we have a differentiation between what is policy Mm -hmm. in a syllabus versus what's really procedure. Because I think of procedural things, they're important. They are uh, enforceable in the sense that a syllabus is sort of a contract. Um, But I wouldn't take out our Title IX policy language from an actual Syllabus that's going to be filed in a program office somewhere and just put it in an FAQ portion. Mm -hmm. Like, I think there still needs to be a bit of care and concern over what's truly documentation versus what's usable procedural information.
2: Mm -hmm. I agree. I think it's a differentiation between a syllabus being a policy kind of um, a course policy policy piece versus like a course handbook of this is where you go to do this and this is how you can get through this Mm -hmm.
0: the author had mentioned linking so you can link back to the syllabus or even to different parts of the course so maybe in Jeanette's example you could say if you want to understand the policy regarding harassment
1: Mm -hmm. for example
0: because maybe you know sometimes those discussion boards can get a little
1: netiquette yeah <laughs> right? a little questionable
0: uh so you know give them at least the the opportunity to quickly link back to where that verbiage is but yeah perhaps we don't need to put every aspect into an faq but you are talking about frequently asked questions what yeah. are frequently asked questions that students gloss over that are usually readily available in a syllabus
2: can i turn in my assignment late
0: Late policy. Mm-hmm.
1: What yeah. happens if
2: I miss class?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: it's more of an expansion on what's in the syllabus versus all the pieces of the syllabus.
0: You'd want it to be, otherwise, it's just another
2: syllabus. Yeah.
1: yeah. Sure. Well, and I think I'd also recommend if somebody were going this direction and really building this out in their LMS, you know, using pages, modules, et cetera, instead mm-hmm. of a document to really think through kind of the curation over time because links get broken if you duplicate that in a future semester you know ensuring that there's still some integrity of the the actual content and if that's if that's overwhelming or maybe doesn't really fit the needs or the context of the institution i think it's absolutely doable to still build a syllabus document um, you know, as a, a PDF that can be linkable and FAQ usable that doesn't necessarily have to take it into this land of I'm building 38 pages in a module to do it. Right.
2: Yeah, the image in this um, article really makes me want to know the answer to how do the name tents work? <laughs> <Because> <laughs> from what I know about a name tag being a folded piece of paper with my name on it. <laughs> I Really want to know what kind of name sense <laughs> they're using. Really, really good question, well, yeah. Explain in the syllabus. So I know, right.
0: Just read the syllabus, you'll find it. Okay, so yay or nay. I, I like this. I think this is a great idea. Any chance to bring more visibility to something that is not only mandatory in, in uh, credit higher education courses um, I think is a good thing.
1: One thing I don't like about this, at least as thought of in this lms like component model is it's less searchable and i think for accessibility reasons that might be less than desirable because mm-hmm. again if it's one document that i can go through and search the headers and the tags and so on i may be able to locate information more easily versus i have to go through five different pages the fragmentation mm-hmm.
0: correct yeah cilia what do you say
2: i like the idea but then i wonder so where's the place for for the syllabus then if they're going to have all their answers or all their questions answered here i mean they are the most frequently asked questions but if they're going to be answered there what's the point of the student having the syllabus even
0: well didn't you just answer your own question the the, the most frequently asked Questions would be right there, and then the rest of the and the others or the entirety be. of the document would be. Separate. Yeah,
2: but I I could see so many students being like, ah, I don't even bother with the syllabus. I just look at the frequently asked questions because it's easier to go there. But isn't
0: that uh, maybe better for, for the, especially for those students who wouldn't read it anyways? At least they'll get the key parts.
2: Maybe, but I think they would also be missing some key elements within the syllabus that maybe people weren't asking because they didn't need to. Everything was already well, not in the syllabus. Asked questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe those are details. I don't know. No. Yeah, I, I don't know. This one, this one is a little different. It's it so a little more. You're unsure. More, yeah, you're unsure. Mm-hmm. I could see value in some of those, you know, questions being answered in the LMS, but at the same time, I still see the value in having a syllabus now making sure that your syllabus is very clear and has all the pieces of information that it needs now that they're you know you also got to make sure that that's done correctly and well
1: and my inner policy person also would like to put the disclaimer that make sure your institutional policies support doing this kind of model because many organizations academic organizations have very specific requirements in their faculty policies about what should or should not be included in a syllabus. So Mm -hmm. always make sure that you're aligned and and accounting for those factors as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. This reminds me of when I'm dealing with my son, the difference between my wife and I, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, he'll tell me he wants to eat some strawberries. Okay, they're healthy. Uh, You know, he needs to eat. Great. So I go and get some strawberries. Oh, but he doesn't want to eat the strawberries that have the leaves attached. He doesn't like the green part. <laughs> right? So then I'll take off the green part. And then he's like, well, he doesn't want to eat the white part that's directly below the, <laughs> oh the, the, the leaf part. He just wants the red part of the strawberry. So then he won't eat all, any of it, mm-hmm. right? So I get frustrated. I'm like, this is a ridiculous amount of handholding. Whereas my wife, on the other hand, you know, she'll, she'll take out the leaves, she'll cut off the top and make sure it's just red. And then he eats it. And then he's got his nutrition and he's got his full belly. Whereas my approach of just read your
2: syllabus
0: (laughs) (laughs) maybe comes across as a bit heavy handed. And and I I really am not trying to compare students to my four-year-old son.
2: Well, I think back to when, you know, we were in school, I'm pretty sure all three of us, we didn't have an electronic syllabus that we could go to. We had a paper, a yeah. book sometimes. Like very a 30 true. Page. So we're used to going through that syllabus to find answers or even figure them out or ask the, you know, if we really needed to ask, which I don't know how often I ever heard a question from somebody that really needed a bigger explanation than what was in the syllabus. But I think that's part of it. We're in the age of, if I have a question, I just want to Google it and get a quick answer. And I think that's kind of what this serves as, is like their, their version of Googling a question that pertains to the syllabus and getting a quick answer.
1: Yeah, it's a good point. Yep. Yeah.
0: I would like to thank Celia Kuchwaitiwa and Jeanette Senecal for allowing me to badger them about badges. Please check out the show notes for resources and feel free to hit us up on Twitter and tell us your opinion on digital badging. We always enjoy hearing from you.
1: You can reach us on Twitter at IBD underscore podcast. That is IBD as in Instruction by Design underscore podcast. Or you can email us at instructionbydesign at ASU.edu. To find previous episodes, please visit our website at links.asu.edu slash IBD underscore podcast. This podcast was produced by Arizona State University's Edson College of Nursing and Health Innovation.
0: Okay, let's get started. Badges.
1: What are they made of?
0: Actually, let me, let me rephrase that. Digital badges. What are they made of?
1: I'm glad you clarified. I was actually going to say, like, you know, you get some fabric and <laughs> some embroidery thread and stitch it all together.